0: Yeah, so let's read 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 10, okay? Verse 4, I'm reading out of the ESV. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood Are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Into marvelous light. Y'all remember that song? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right? Mercy is a good passage. I love this passage. I'm excited to talk about it for a little bit. On the surface, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, The passage pretty much just says like, man, if you belong to God, like you are God's chosen people and Jesus is the cornerstone, the the foundation, the the key piece to your faith and to your belonging in God's presence. If you don't believe in Jesus, he really becomes a stumbling block to your own disobedience. Like if you just don't take Jesus for his word and, and who he says he is. But for you who belong to Jesus, you are a holy, a royal, priesthood, you belong, you testify of a life that formerly didn't know God, but now does know God, of a life that didn't know his infinite mercy, but now does know his infinite mercy. It's really powerful, and it's pretty simple language, and I just want to kind of geek out for a couple minutes about a couple of things that caught my eye that I think is really cool in this passage. I'm, I want to talk about this first word, priesthood. So if you'll see in verse 5 and verse 9, you'll notice that it says in verse 5 that you're a holy priesthood, And in verse nine, that you're a royal priesthood. Oh, wait, no, I skipped a point. Hold on. First, I want you to notice it talks about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And he's talking to the group of people, the royal priesthood or the church. This is a fun fact. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus is gonna look at Peter and go, hey, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church upon. And the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. All right, so there's this moment where Jesus looks at Peter, the guy that wrote this letter, and says, hey, Peter, like, there is an anointing on your life, and upon you, I will build my church. So this thing we're doing 2,000 and some odd years later is because of something Jesus said, Peter really was just a fundamental piece that helped start it, okay? So Peter starts a church. The reason I think this is important is we're gonna talk about community today and what it means to be a royal priesthood and some of the beautiful, wonderful things in that word, I just think it's a good idea to listen to Peter's thoughts on this because he's the one Jesus looked at and said, yo, you're the rock, I'm building my church upon. The church is gonna be so powerful and potent that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, all right? That was my little, okay, Let's, let's get back to priesthood. A holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, this language is significant, all right? So I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of a priest, okay? When I think of a priest, I think of like the white collar thing, Like, you know, in the Catholic faith, I always thought it was super legit. When they were walking around, I was always like, whoa, that dude has that white collar thing. He's super legit. That's that's literally all I would think about. It wasn't a lot of depth there. But back in the Old Testament, priests held a special relationship and a special responsibility to God and God's people, specifically among the Israelites, okay? So priests had a special access to God. They would literally have a room they could go in and experience the living, active presence of God. And that was very unique. Although God would manifest himself to some people in certain ways, it was very unique that priests could go and encounter his presence on somewhat of a regular basis, okay? So priests had a special relationship with God. They also had responsibilities to the people of God and to God himself. So one of their responsibilities was to reflect the character of God, very simply. And this translates pretty well today, right? whether we like it or not, if you're a minister or a priest of some sort, people have this expectation. Your life is going to look a certain way because of what you do and who you are, right? Does that make sense? So whenever you see documentaries or hear of scandals on the news about uh, someone in the church office or a priest being caught in something really, really scary or dark or twisted, the reason that's so shocking and hurtful is because why? You, You assume the person speaking about God is going to reflect the character of God. So it's very polarizing when all of a sudden they're not doing that in any way, shape, or form. Does that make sense? Same thing in the Old Testament here. The priest's responsibility was to reflect the character of God. Secondly, it was to remember, and I'm not giving you all the, to be very clear, I'm not giving you all the responsibilities of the priest according to the Levitical law right now. I'm giving you some simple things, okay? So secondly, to remember the outsider. It was the priest's responsibility to remember the outsider, the marginalized, the sick, the oppressed. It was their responsibility to make sure the outsider was included. And thirdly, it was their responsibility to reconcile people back to right relationship with God. You'll see in the Old Testament moments where they're presenting sacrifices on behalf of the entire nation. It was like on them to proclaim the goodness of God and to keep people from sin and and help them to live in holy living so they can have a holy and upright relationship with God. Why am I telling you about Old Testament priests when we are just New Testament Nashville people just hanging downtown at the Ruby, okay? Because Peter is gonna start using some language that begins to include, incorporate us into this priesthood language. He says, you are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. This is really fun. <laughs> at least, I, this is really fun, Are you guys having fun? Because I'm having fun talking about priesthood. It's an amazing moment where Peter goes, hey, this word, this priest word that you used to only uh, uh, attach to a select few group of people, it's now for all of you. It's no longer like what might be perceived as the spiritual elite, quote unquote, which I think Jesus would detest, right? He comes in and says like, oh my, there's no spiritual elite. We're all in the family here, right? He goes, you are all invited to be a part of this royal priesthood, this very cool thing. This is the power of the gospel, right? Is that God takes on flesh in Jesus and says, hey you, you follow me. No, not the Pharisees, I'll talk to them later. You fishermen, right? You tax collector, you adulterer, like you, you follow me. I'm inviting you in on this. It's no longer for the select few over there, it's for all of us, like you're all invited. This is very powerful. And so Peter goes, hey, you, child of God, for anyone who would believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, commit their heart and their life to following Jesus, like you have been invited. You are a part of this royal priesthood. You now have this special access to the living God. You now have this responsibility in a beautiful way to show, to reflect the character of God to the world, to remember the outsider, You know what it's like to be an outsider and come on the inside. Now you get to do that for the next outsider. They get to be included. They get to come on the inside. You get to participate in reconciling people back to right relationship with God. In verses nine and 10, it's gonna say, man, your life testifies of a life that once was just soaking and sitting in darkness, but now is living and shining in light. You are a life that once did not know God, but now do know God. You testify of that to the world. It's a beautiful thing. You are a light that didn't know mercy, but now you know never-ending, never-stopping mercy. You're drowning in mercy, but like in a good way. You live in mercy, although you're drowned and submerged in it entirely, but it's good news. Gosh, anyway, so that's that's the beauty of being invited into this reality of being a part of the royal priesthood. So that priesthood word, we read that and go, All right, it says royal, so that's gotta be cool. It says holy, so I guess that's probably good news, but man, it's powerful language he's using here. He's like, hey, this is no longer for the elite or the person that you wish you were. This is for you here right now. That's you. You get to be this for yourself. God is gonna redeem you, but he's also gonna redeem the world through your life. Super powerful, all right? Another thing that really caught my eye in this, I'm out of breath. I didn't realize I was talking so hard. Gosh, gosh you yourselves in verse five, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. It says living stones, it's plural. If anyone could make this passage individual, I feel like it was Peter because Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're the rock I'm going to build my church upon. And Peter could have made this a me, I kind of thing, right? But the first thing he says in first Peter, when he starts talking about the royal priesthood and who we are together is, we are collectively living stones, a chosen people. This is not an individual endeavor, although it might feel that way. As I was explaining priesthood, you're like, me, 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 and it's true. That identity is on you, the individual, but Peter says this is a collective endeavor. It is together that we participate. One stone is a crappy house. You can stand on it. You can skip it across a pond. You cannot make it your humble abode. Actually, I guess it would be the humblest of abodes because it would be one rock right but Peter goes it's a collection of stones that builds a spiritual house it's when the people of God are together that we become a spiritual house have you ever been to that cheesy Christian southern home that is just so unmistakable there's the welcome mat at the door you're like okay strike one walk in go to the bathroom sit down Live, laugh, love. Strike two and strike three, we're out of here. This is unacceptable. Faith, family, friends, okay, now we've just gone overboard, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like those kind of houses, it's like, man, I feel, I feel like I'm loved and received, but all these words on the walls are blowing my mind. That's my house, just for the record. Uh, so maybe you don't relate to that, I do. Have you ever been to a house like that where you're like, man, this is cheesy, but I know I belong here, all right? Because they got all these words telling me I do, right? In a non-cheesy way, we get to be a spiritual house where all who enter in understand the beautiful invitation God is giving them. They understand they are warmly welcomed. And I don't know why I use the bathroom there. Maybe the sign's in the living room, that's a weird image. Like, don't picture me in the bathroom. <laughs> like, I'm in a living room on a couch, I'm watching TV, I'm seeing a picture over there, all right, chill out. All right, we get to be, we get to be a spiritual house, a place of welcoming people into the presence of the Lord. But it's only, only, when we are doing this together as a community. I wanna talk for a little bit about the power of participation. You know, this this passage came to mind in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he starts like just talking through and this really simple metaphor comes to his mind. And it's it's really cool. I I love simple metaphors because it's good for my elementary mindset. He goes, hey, wouldn't it be weird if your hand got all insecure and was like, man, I wish I was a foot. That'd just be dope. Wouldn't it be weird if you had four feet? Just picture that. You know, it's like that would be weird, right? We know that's ridiculous. We know that it's good if a hand functions properly and that a foot functions properly and that they're not the same because they do different things. Unless you're just super talented. When I took karate. I could pick up stuff with my toes. It was impressive. Lost that ability. I could pick up a tennis ball. <laughs> Don't know why I'm telling you that. Get back to the notes, Joshua. Let's talk about spiritual gifts in the church. Gosh, anyway. But Paul's gonna say, you are all uniquely gifted don't spend time, Patrizio, don't spend time looking at Jade going, man, he's got these things, I want to look at Paul's going to go, no, the way you are gifted is really, really important here. The way Jade is gifted is really important here. Now, come alive in those giftings, and then once that we learn how to be a family on mission together, that's when we become a spiritual house that testifies of darkness to light, of no mercy to unending mercy. It works as we work together. It's a team sport. We have to participate together. You know, I remember uh, this, this friend of mine, his name was Douglas, and uh, man, he is an amazing, amazing dude. He came to the Ruby for a while, and uh, I got to baptize him last year. It's a, it a really cool story, because when I met him, his life, you know, I'll, I'll stay vague, but it was in shambles. Like, it really was, and he would testify to this as well. Like, I feel very comfortable talking about Douglas for friends. We talked a few weeks ago. He's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> we, uh, when I met him, He had just met a crossroads that was deeper and darker than, than, honestly, than he could help. Like, he he was just in a really hard spot. And I remember getting lunch with him for the first time. It was him and his dad. And he just broke this news to me about just a spot he was in in his life. And it got real so fast. And I was like, whoa, I just met you, but things are real. I was like, dude, come to House Church with Me. Like, be my friend. Like, I just, let's spend time together. Because I had no answers. <laughs> I had no quick sayings. I wasn't trying to fix anything. But I was like, I will be your friend. Like, my goodness, I love you. Your heart's incredible. So I started hanging out. It was really cool because he later comes to believe in Jesus. And he gets baptized. And he just loves it. And you know what was so cool? He never went, hey, man, that one time you preached that sermon. Like, that really got me. He, and I, and that st- I wish he would have said that. Because I, I would like credit but I don't get it in this story, right? I'm kidding. He never said, hey, that one house church, when you said that thing, it just hit home. What he said was, it's really interesting. He said, the way you all treat each other, I'd never seen it. I knew there was something special. Like I could sense God in your community. The way you guys care for one another, like what are y'all? You ask like how I'm doing and you ask how my test went and you actually care, He's like, I knew when I hung out with y'all long enough that like God had intervened in my life. I got to baptize him later. That is the power of community. And we live in a culture that is so like kind of celebrity driven, individualized. You know, I went to a the NBA finals game that I was telling you about earlier that no one was impressed with. So I'm <laughs> no longer impressed with it. <laughs> I don't like to give sports stories very often because I know that not all, not all of us love sports, but I do wanna talk about this. So there's this guy named Kevin Durant and he plays on a team called Golden State. Two years ago, Kevin Durant entered this thing called free agency, which basically meant he got to choose what team he played for. Kevin Durant was already the second or third greatest basketball player in the entire world. He chose to sign with the team that had just set the NBA record for wins in a season, aka Kevin Durant signed with the best team in the world. He got so much flack for this. I'm talking like his reputation was tarnished. People call him a snake literally all the time. They call him a snake. They can't stand him. They say he ruined the game. He sacrificed his reputation to be on a team that was already good. Now they're gonna win championships without hardly even having to try. And they're kinda right. They've won two championships in a row. But I think it's interesting. The point of playing in the NBA typically is to win championships, this weird gold trophy, which is a super weird thing for everyone to get super excited about. But that's the point. It illustrates how good you are. Kevin Durant made the easiest and most strategic decision to win championships. And maybe he sacrificed some personal legacy to get it. And our culture hated him for it. But I'll go, that's good strategy. Man, if being on a good team helps you win, be on a good team. Isn't the point winning? Since when was it about Kevin Durant's legacy? He's trying to win championships. It makes sense to me. In the same way, I believe we will only bring the kingdom, and I'm, I've, just bear with me on this connection, okay? I really do believe this though. We will only see the kingdom of heaven manifest itself as far as we are willing to be unified together. I really believe that the kingdom of God, participation as a church is a team sport. And if we come here as a collection of individuals going, feed me, feed me, feed me. I like this church because every time he says that joke, I laugh. Every time they sing, it means so much to my heart. But that's why I like it. We get out by 1230. I got time for lunch. It's perfect. That's why. Like. If we come as a bunch of individuals, Celebrating our own legacy, this place will not go far. It will not. It will serve you. You'll be comfortable. You'll be happy. I'll basically be a glorified waiter to you, and you'll, you'll know how much to tip me based on how good my sermon was or how good the worship was. that makes sense? But when we participate together, when you understand that this church is not dictated by how good my sermons are, I promise that. It can feel that way because I'm the guy talking on a mic sometimes. It is not dictated by how good the worship is. A church is as good as the people in it. When we work together in unity, scripture says, man, we testify. We are a spiritual house that testifies of darkness to light, of not knowing God, to knowing God personally, of not knowing unending mercy, to knowing unending mercy. This is the power of participation. This is why I've been trying to say this every week. I'm really trying to just create a culture, help us create a culture with one another that is all about participation, that knows how to come here and to be active people here, not sitting there entitled to a great sermon or great worship, but going, I'm a part of this. Because the truth is, if I preach a crappy sermon, which will happen, it might be happening right now, right? If I preach a crap sermon, or Jared's off key, which he never is, it's an angelic voice he brings to the table, but if he ever is, and you go, worship wasn't good, and teaching wasn't good, but man, I intentionally connected with someone. I asked them how they were. I prayed for them. I hit them up for lunch. That's a win. That's where church comes to life. I made an outsider feel like an insider today. Sermon wasn't good, but we're friends. I think they'll be back. <laughs> like Sermon didn't bring them back, but our friendship might. That's where we win as a church. It's through participation. And so I wanted to spend the last like five minutes going How can I ask, how can we as a church participate more? This is gonna feel Sunday centric. And in a way it kind of is. This is gonna be Sunday focused. It's bigger than this. It will absolutely bleed over and we're gonna keep pressing in on what it looks like to be the church out there, right? But I wanna talk a little bit about what Sundays can look like, how you can be more connected. Now, a little caveat, a preface. If you're here and you just got here, you're like, this ain't my church. I ain't even trying to do all this. I feel that. Please keep coming back. I love you. Like, don't, you don't have to. You don't have to take the next step. That's cool. I feel you're just feeling this out. But if you consider yourself a regular here, invested here, I want to ask you to just like think a little bit. Let's brainstorm together. How can you invest in this place? Because I promise you, the more you participate, the more you invest, the more this place will testify of the reality of God's presence in this place. So let's brainstorm. Oh yeah, I was supposed to tell a story with that. Um, we'll skip it the story was basically saying the more you invest, the more you get out of it, okay? I pretty much made that clear. I do believe we've never been hungrier for connection and community and never been more unwilling to get it. Uh, I I think we live in a a very odd time of shallow waters of a lot of relationships. So it doesn't feel shallow, if that makes sense. If you have a hundred shallow friendships, it can feel deep because there's so many to like occupy your time. Then you find yourself feeling lonely and isolated, and it's just like a weird juxtaposition to be in. Like, wait, How am I lonely? I have all these connections, but they're not real. That's what's happening. And I think that this can be a place that if we put our head down, we'll find genuine community here, um, if we'll sacrifice. Anyway, okay, back to notes. Here we go. A couple ways you can do this. Some of the most practical ways we'll start with first. One is being on a volunteer team. To be really clear, we actually don't need volunteers. We're set for the summer. Sarah might disagree. She's our campus coordinator. She might go, Josh, don't say we don't need volunteers because we do need them. Could be true. I'm not saying this out of need. We've been set up every week. We've been torn down on time every week. We're doing well. I do believe there is something you get out of investing. So we asked, I think you volunteer one gathering, like one, like a 9 a.m. once a month, whether that's coffee team or welcome team or setup team or teardown team or slides, whatever it is. That's one way you can connect here and just help serve, just help put this place on. I think When you invest in something like that, you feel a part of it because you are a part of it. It's a tangible way to understand you're a part of something. That's just a way to think about it. Another one, you can be in a grow class this summer. Uh, We talked about these. These are on ethoschurch.org. Sign up for a grow class. They've got like 25 of them. Uh, Sarah's leading one. Sarah and Cody are leading one. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be so lit. Join theirs. Anyway, um, grow classes are a great way to be involved, to get connected with people, to be around people. House churches will start in the fall. Man, we'll, we'll be having a big time sign up for those. That's a great way to get plugged in. Like, if you want community, if you find yourself going, I want community, I think in the, the real world, post-college especially, you really do have to seek it out. It's a try. And, and you got to go through some awkward conversations and some like, ah, that wasn't that much fun. I'm going to probably move on from this. Like, you know, it, it has to happen. But I, I do think it's kind of like a reality check moment. Hey, you want community? You got to go get it. Like, you gotta go get it. It it will happen, but it, it, it takes some of your effort. It will not fall in your lap like Instagram falls in your lap, right? You don't have to search for interaction on Instagram, but you have to kind of search for it in real life, I think. Come willing, okay, now we're gonna talk a little bit more nuance, just when you come here Sunday, the posture of your heart. Okay, you ready for this? Doesn't matter, here I go. Number two, come willing to give, not just to receive. I would even say not to receive. Come willing to give, not only receive. Be a contributor not a critic. It is good, let me say this, it is very good to have healthy critiques of what we do here. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> I never want a church that we don't know how to go, hey, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, let's talk about that. However, I think that we accidentally fall susceptible to being consumers, and consumers only know how to submit Google reviews. That either met my standard, or it didn't meet my standard. Do not take that posture here. And again, I'm talking to followers of Jesus who call this place home, all right? Just kind of like a, a good family talk, good brotherly talk. Be contributors, come with a posture ready to give, not only take. That comes in a few places. One, talk to people, don't wait to be talked to. Welcome people in, don't wait to be welcomed. Every time I meet a new person, I'll often end with, hey, if no one comes and talks to you, go talk to them. They're nice people, because I'm trying to shift this culture as rapidly as I can. And I think, by the way, we're very good at this already, but I wanna keep, I just wanna keep going up. Like, meet people. Go talk to people, you know what it's like to show up in sixth grade at the lunch table. It is horrible, horrible. New school, new cafeteria, it's the worst. But when someone went out of their way to talk to you, you were like, oh my God, (laughs) thank you, Lord. I got a friend, I don't even like them but they're talking to me and that's fantastic. (laughs) You know that's real. Be the person that the person doesn't like but feels welcomed by, all right? No, they'll like you, they'll love you, you're beautiful and perfect, all right? Be the person. Do not wait to be greeted. Greet other people. Can I get head nods on this one? Like, welcome people in. Have eyes for the new person and the in-betweener. What I've realized in ministry is the easiest people to recognize are the brand new people and the three-year people. But those like two to three month people, they slip through the crack of the new person because you've seen them. And they slip through the crack of the friend because you never really got to know them like that. And so they just sit. I've literally, I, I think of a girl right now who fell into that, and I haven't seen her in a few weeks, and if she's listening to the podcast, please come back if you know who I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, think about coming back, but, but, but I think about, I was like, she was an in-betweener because, man, we did such a good job welcoming her, and then after she had been for a while, I think we just accidentally turn off the radar. Even I do this and go, oh, she's here now, and then we stopped, so have eyes for the new person, make them feel welcome, get to know their story, welcome you as God welcomes you into his presence as, as we can welcome people into the spiritual house. But also have eyes for the in-betweener. Who's been coming for two months and I've just yet to take the conversation deeper? Go for it, all right? Welcome in the outsider. Listen and search for God in worship and in teaching. Some things will fall in your lap. That's what God does. He will speak a word that you didn't ask for, weren't looking for. He'll just put it on your lap because he's good, and he speaks to his children. I do believe, I think as we all do, that conversation is a two-way street. And so I would just ask that if I'm up here teaching, don't put the pressure on me to wow you with a story or to make a good point that just sticks with you. I'm going to try to do that. I think stories engage us. I think good points help clarity, help us retain, help us process and learn. I think it's so helpful. So I'm committed to try my best to be a good teacher. I promise that. It can't all be on me. We've got to participate. It cannot all be on our worship set to hit everything right. I don't even know the words for it. I was gonna say hit every rhythm. I don't think that's the right terminology. It can't be on them to hit every rhythm and snip and snap. Uh, It cannot be on our worship team to wow you. We are in Nashville. We really will never have any shortage of good artists. But I would hate if you left this place and went to some random city that didn't have the artistry we have and couldn't find a church home because no one pleased your ears enough. It's like, let's not be a people that are entitled to perfect worship and the perfect song that really gets us going. Like, if we want to worship God, He will meet us there. I promise you that. It takes effort sometimes. If you've dated someone long enough or been friends with someone long enough, you understand there comes a moment where you have to choose friendship. It just happens. Let's choose to worship choose to go for it. Two more things, and then we'll wrap up, okay? Pray for people, all right? Whether it's internally or walking up to someone, I have learned there is a very sweet thing that happens when you just pray for someone out loud with them. It doesn't have to be for conviction or confession or wounds. It can just be, God, I'm glad to see Emma here today. That hat is so dope. You look cool. I'm praying for you. Thank you, Lord. Like, it can be as simple as I'm thankful for Emma. Like, thank you, God, that Emma exists and that she's married to a guy like Jackson. This is so freaking cool. Like, amen. I'm telling you, that does work on a heart. Let's pray for people. If you know Jesus and you know the beauty of prayer, introduce it to someone around you. I just say go for it. Anyway, last thing. If you hear a conversation like this and you go, this feels like a to-do and where I'm at in my life right now, I'm not having a lot of room for to-dos, all right? Like, I don't need something else I need to be good at or could potentially fail at. That's not what's happening, all right? This is not a to-do. You're already here, and I do want us to. Im- I want to invite us. I think this can be restful while being active, okay? I don't know if you've ever been so tired that you needed a nap. Like, oh, man, that nap hit the spot. I'm a nap guy, all right? Have you ever been tired and realized that what you needed was a jog? Or like, to be like, I need to journal, or go on a walk? it's a weird thing how sometimes you're tired and what will bring you rest is actually activity. I say that because hopefully that connects. Does that make sense? Like rest doesn't always mean you need to sleep and do nothing. What I've figured out on my day off is sometimes doing nothing makes me so much more tired. Like I don't have to like, so when I go on vacation, I've learned I don't need to lay down for five straight days. That's not restful. I come back home tired from all the laying down, right? I think the same can be true in a spiritual sense. God has rest for you here. Sometimes rest will be, I'm out of breath. I need to sit. I need to listen and just receive. And that's good. This is a haven for that. Sometimes rest will be, I need to pursue the Lord. He will bring rest in his presence. Trust him with that. Talk to people. God will bring rest in ways that don't make sense logically, but it will happen. You'll gain energy from loving people and loving God. I trust that. So I'm not trying to wear us out. I'm not trying to make us tired. I believe God will provide a rest, okay? So as we conclude... My hope for this place is that as a community, we can testify to the goodness of God, to his redemption. And I believe that if we all buy into this and participate in a real way, we will see very cool things. You will have friendships that will be deep, even if you're not hanging out like during the week. Just on Sunday relationship, it'll be good. Like, but friendships will result. We will see God bless the socks off of this community. We'll see people come to know God. It'll be amazing. We'll remember the time we first met someone and how four years later, we're sitting in their wedding, like, Those things will happen, but it will happen when we walk with intentionality and participate, all right? A couple of questions I want us to discuss at communion. This is a part of that. That's why we've been doing this every week, by the way, right? Is to get us talking to each other, okay? Community, discussion, let's talk about it. One, why does participation make church better? Just brainstorm that. Why does, or does it, and if it does, hint, hint, I really think it does, why? Two, what is one way you can be just more intentional in this community and just share that. This might be as simple as when I come here, I can just meet one person. This is not like a sign up for a volunteer team thing. This is not, I promise it's not that thing. Just what's one way you can be more intentional in this community? So one, why is participation better for church? And what is one way you can be more intentional in this community? So I'm gonna invite us after I pray to circle up our chairs, discuss those two questions, centered around communion. Just think about those things. If you're here going, this is all very heavy. I'm heavy introverted. I'm trying to sit this one out you are more than welcome. Like, there is no pressure to, to participate in this. Um, but you can sit here, you can go outside. But if you're willing, I'd ask that you circle up in groups of three to five people, talk about these things, all right? Let's pray, we'll get communion, we'll talk about this stuff. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for their patience, as I'm, I think I talked for a long time. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for their <laughs> endurance <laughs> to just listen. And Father, I pray, God, for this conversation following. Help us to participate. Uh, like, like we're talking about in First Peter, um, God, I know you're gonna bless it over the long haul. Like, this is a long haul thing and it's gonna be good. So bless our conversation. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.